This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Going Problems. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. We competed against each other on Jeopardy. Kyle ended up winning seven games. And we've been chatting about the show ever since. Each week we start with analysis of this week's Jeopardy episodes. Then we move on to a deep dive from a question or category in one of those episodes. And we finish with a quiz. This week's Jeopardy was a uh, rerun of the Million Dollar Masters Tournament from 2002. This was Jeopardy's first Million Dollar Tournament, recorded at Radio City Music Hall, which was fun. Um, So all this week we had quarterfinals with 15 contestants from uh, the first 18 seasons of Jeopardy. Monday, we were watching the quarterfinal game one, and the contestants are Frank Spangenberg, a lieutenant in the New York Police Department from Douglaston, New York, Rachel Schwartz, a lawyer with an international law firm from Washington, D.C., and Bob Harris, an author, comedian, and radio commentator from Los Angeles, California. And we get the Jeopardy categories, Latin American history, water transports, wax museums, autoimmune disorders, let them eat cake, and so you're the smart one, eh? Smart in quotation marks. Yeah. And they were fast. They were fast and they were really good. It was so nice. Mm-hmm. I thought there, there were a couple of games that played closer to a typical Jeopardy game from my point mm-hmm. of view, but I thought the material for this whole tournament was, you know, really at a, at a tournament level. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this was their... Not really first, like, big tournament, but this was the biggest tournament that they'd had, obviously, with the highest dollar amount available and also bringing back people from, like, the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't see this kind of level again until the Ultimate Tournament of Champions and then, really, I would say until the, you know, All-Star game and the and the GOAT tournament. Mm-hmm. In this first Jeopardy round, I if I recall, there was... But one incorrect response, and that was on the very first clue in So You're the Smart One, eh? Uh, The clue is cartoon catchphrase, meaning the quality of having a higher IQ than an ordinary ursine critter. Frank rang in and said, what is smarter than your, or smarter than the ordinary bear? And then Alex gave the correct response, but I think they were scared off the buzzer. Because that's smarter than your average bear. Yes. Yes, and I believe the rest of the round was perfect. Yeah. Looks like it was. Uh, So we get the first daily double in the Wax Museums category at the $800 level. Uh, It was pick number 25, and Rachel found it. And she wagered uh, a mere 1,000 of her 4,000. Bob was in the lead at 6,000, and Frank was at 3,000. Uh, She got the clue, appropriately, Potter's Wax Museum in this Florida city bills itself as the oldest in the U.S. And she says what is St. Augustine, which is acceptable, Mm -hmm. but not the Americanized pronunciation of St. Augustine. Right. Yes. When we're talking about the saint, uh, I think St. Augustine is how I generally hear it pronounced, but the city is definitely St. Augustine. But she got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, at the uh, end of that first round, we have the scores Bob 
in the lead at 7,000, Rachel right behind at 6,000, and Frank is at 4,800. And we get the Double Jeopardy categories. The New York Times Arts and Leisure, From the Greek, The Renaissance, Middle Names, Hope You Learned Your African Capitals, and Places to Put Your Big Winnings. And uh, we saw a theme in every Double Jeopardy board that uh, the first category was a New York Times theme. Yes. We've talked before on the podcast about how African geography is a weak point across the board for uh, a lot of Americans in general and Jeopardy contestants. Not all of them are Americans in particular. And uh, it took them a couple of clues to get in this, into the swing of hope you learned your African capitals. Well, it took a couple of clues for Bob to get into the swing of it. Yeah, so we had a uh, triple stumpers, one with an incorrect response at the $400-$800 levels. Um, spread over four hills, this African country's capital of Kigali includes a Muslim quarter, an airport, and a technical college. Bob guessed what is Uganda, that's Rwanda. In 1926, the capital of this Republic of Northwest Africa was moved from Zinder to Niamey, uh, that is Niger, or Niger, either pronunciation's okay. But then Bob got the 1200, 1600, and 2000, so presumably he did learn his African capitals. Yep, yep indeed. And the audience in this game was like so eager to clap, really all week, they just, I mean it was a big audience and probably... I don't know, mob mentality, one person starts to clap mm -hmm. and they just go for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Bob got applause for getting three of the five. Yes. Well, <laughs> three out of five African capitals is, you know, impressive for Jeopardy. There was there was a, a fun missed clue, although I don't want to dunk on Bob too much, um, but uh, at the $1,600 level of places to put your big winnings, the clue was on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, this investment opportunity is abbreviated PB, and Bob jumped right in with what is lead, which is it's the chemical symbol for lead. You know, like he, like clearly he, you know, he'd been doing his studying, but uh, lost track of the context here. Frank got the rebound. Um, this is pork bellies. We get the second daily double as the 18th pick in the round. It's at the $1,200 level of middle names. Frank finds it. And wagers 4,000 of his 13,600, uh, looking to take away the lead from Bob at 14,600. Rachel is at 7,200 at this point. He gets the clue, this middle name of Supreme Court Justice William Douglas reminds us of an early aviator. And he correctly responds, what is Orville? Yeah, he worked that out. That was yeah. impressive. Mm -hmm. Right after that, the next clue, Bob shows off some chops too uh it was the 1600 dollars clue in that category because this is a million dollar tournament you have to spell the middle name of president warren harding uh and so bob got it correct he spelled it g-a-m-a-l-i-e-l -E for warren g harding warren gamaliel harding which that is was pretty very impressive it was impressive that's a that's a you know if you're a trivia person that's one you gotta know the da third daily double Shows up in the New York Times Arts and Leisure. It's at the $1,200 level. It's pick number 28. Uh, Rachel finds this one as well. She is at 8,000. 
uh, trailing Bob's 15,800 and Frank's 22,800. And she wagers 1,500, not feeling too confident, I guess. Mm -hmm. And she gets the clue. The Mets 2002 production of this opera calls for 346 people on stage along with a horse, Napoleon's. She says, I have no idea. Alex prompts her to take a guess, which, I mean, I guess this is a, you know, a big, you know, fancy tournament or whatever. That just seems improper to me. Uh, she yeah, guesses, like he shouldn't be coaching. Yeah, yeah. She guesses what is Aida. Um, not a bad guess, but timeline is way off for, for that. And the correct response is War and Peace. Yeah, I, I don't think that I would have known where to start with that. I I knew that the, for it to fit with Napoleon, it wouldn't be any of the operas that sort of came to mind for me, you know? Um, so sure. I, wonder, I wonder if that was her thought process of like, Napoleon pins it to a time period and you're like, oh, that does not match with any opera that I can recall right. existing. Right. Uh, then you're a little stuck. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Frank is in the lead with 19,200. Bob has 15,800. Rachel has 10,100. Impressive scores in a game with tough material. And the final Jeopardy category is espionage. And the clue is he was born in India. His father worked for the British government and he was nicknamed for a Kipling character. Rachel has wagered 2,301. And correctly responds, who was Kim Philby? Bob has wagered 4,200 and also has that correct response, who was Kim Philby. Frank has wagered 12,401. I believe that's a cover bet. Yes, that's a cover bet. He has put, who is John Le Carre, author, uncle of one of my congregants. Oh, that's right. That's right. We've talked yep. about that. Mm-hmm. But not the correct response. So... Bob is the winner and an automatic semifinalist. Rachel is in second place with 12,401. Frank is down at 6,799. That's that's a rough break. It's hard it's hard to say in a tournament. There is possibly a case to be made here for not making the cover bet when yeah. you're at 19-2, right? Like you're at a level where it would be very difficult to knock you out of the wild card standings. Yeah, a zero bet there, or a very small bet, would not be out of place. Luckily, I never found myself having to make that choice. Luckily? Choice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. My choices were clear in the tournament. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, it, and in a tournament like this, I mean, I'm, I know roughly what my final Jeopardy, like, get rate is, but it changes in a tournament, you mm-hmm. know? So the question of whether you're willing to just sort of bet on yourself to get it right like that yeah. sort of shifts a little bit with the with the difficulty level of the clues. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that brings us to the game that aired on Tuesday. This is from May 2nd, 2002, and it features the contestants Kate Waits, a law professor at the University of Tulsa from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Brad Rutter, whoever that guy is, a network administrator from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Claudia Perry, a sports copy editor from Jersey City, New Jersey. And they get the Jeopardy round categories, art and artists, my favorite films, Big City Life, Discovery Channel, World War I Vets, and I'm in 7th Heaven with 7th in quotation marks. This game had a lot more uh, 
triple stumpers and incorrect responses than than the game before. Um, mm-hmm. More like the rest of the games this week. That first game was very clean. Mm-hmm. I thought this art category was really difficult. I mean, maybe it's just that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. But I mm-hmm. do okay in art generally and thought these were pretty deep cuts. Yeah. Yeah, certainly for a Jeopardy round. They they weren't your typical Jeopardy fodder necessarily. Yeah. At the $400 level, this British abstract sculptor of Madonna and Child drew Londoners in the underground during the Blitz. That's Henry Moore. That just it it feels like a like a really tough question for a 400 in a Jeopardy round. Um, yeah. As an example, you know, they felt felt much more difficult than uh than your average sort of first round low value clues. So we find the first daily double in the my favorite films category at the $600 level. It's the fifth pick. Kate uncovers it and wagers 1200. That's a true daily double uh, with Claudia at a thousand and Brad at 200. She gets the clue when you rent this 1970 biopic, watch for Tim Considine as the soldier who gets slapped. And she says she was watching it the other night and correctly responds, what is Patton? Speaking of films, uh, in the seventh heaven category, the thousand dollar clue released in 1957, this film was based on the play Trommelning that had also been written by the director. Brad guessed what's the seventh sign. Claudia got it with the seventh seal. Uh, that's another, another one that has come up not only today, but or last not, week, not right? only this week, but last week. That's another another movie to just know that exists for Jeopardy. Yeah. I believe that's the one with the iconic scene of him playing chess with death. Oh, right. Yes. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, um, Brad is in the lead with 5,800. Claudia has 4,400. Kate has 3,800. So it's a close game. And we get the double Jeopardy categories. The New York Times Magazine. Literary movements, middle age folks. Oh no, it's opera. <laughs> <laughs> Monsters Inc. and Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid. Man, this opera category made me feel really bad. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like I, I think I could have gotten to most of the answers with more time to go through my thoughts, but. The the only one I got was the first one, $400 clue. Mm. George Gershwin personally asked Howard University voice professor Todd Duncan to originate this title role. That's Porgy from Porgy and Bess. Mm-hmm. Man, all the others. Oof. Deep cuts again. Yes, indeed. I thought. Yep. Right. So Daily Double 2 shows up in the Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid category. It's at the $1,200 level. Brad locates it. And he wagered twelve hundred. He was in the lead at eighteen or at eleven thousand eight hundred. Claudia was at ninety six hundred, and Kate was at five thousand. He got the clue. She could have called her nineteen seventy three bestseller "Aviophobia," and he works around to it. That is Erica Zhang. I got to fear of flying, but couldn't remember who wrote it. Yeah, me too. He's like, well. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I figured out that part, the part they're not asking for. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Daily Double number three, we find as the 25th pick in the middle-aged folks category at the $800 level. Um, Claudia uncovers this one and wagers 2,000 after 11,200. Brad's up at 17,000 and Kate is at 5,000. His brothers Torvald and Torstein and his half-sister Freydis also traveled to Finland. And she correctly responds, who is Leif Erikson? I was skeptical about the call in the literary movements category at the $1,600 level. The clue was in 1842, Emerson gave a lecture called this. Oh, I guess I see where they got a 17-letter adjective for his literary and philosophical movement. Brad said, what is transcendentalism? They were looking for transcendentalist. Uh, Yeah, they needed the adjective and the title of the lecture. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Yeah. Tough break, and things have worked out fine for Brad vis-a-vis his Jeopardy career. Yeah, Yeah, he's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, Brad is in the lead at 17,800. Claudia is at 12,400. And Kate just kind of flatlined this whole whole double Jeopardy round. She's at 4,200. They get the category 2001 news, and the clue... In 2001, the zinc industry was up in arms over Representative Jim Colby's bill calling for the phasing out of these. Kate, bet it all. It's the only bet you have in a tournament. Get as high as you can. Uh, She wrote, what are subsidies? Cross that out. And then batteries, both of which are incorrect. So she goes down to zero. Claudia wagered 5,000. And she guessed, what is the penny? Which is correct. And Brad made a cover bet of 7,001, and also said, what are pennies? So he moves on as a semifinalist, and Claudia has a good score at 17,400. And on Wednesday, we get the third match of the quarterfinals. Uh, The contestants are Eric Newhouse, a director of technical assistance from Vermilion, South Dakota, Leslie Freitz, a Spanish teacher from Hayward, California, and Chuck Forrest, a lawyer and CEO from London, UK. And we get the Jeopardy! categories, the New York Times headlines. Nietzsche, I'm glad to meet ya. Uh, Class TV. (laughs) Your feminine side. Mind your own business. And 18 years of leftovers. These are leftover clues from previous season's shows. Could have just called it potpourri, you know? Yeah, hodgepodge. Hodgepodge. Grab bag. Nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with calling it potpourri. So we get uh, Chuck ringing in first uh, on the first clue, and he does the forest bounce, moving around to different categories. <laughs> but mostly working top to bottom. Yeah, yeah, not really daily double hunting in that mm-hmm. first round, which, you know, might might be purposeful. You know, mm-hmm. Maybe trying to get more money before finding the, the daily double. Yeah. There it is. There's mm-hmm. the forest bounce. Yep. Yeah, we see it here much more than we did in the uh, the earlier episode a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had a funny uh, uh, a funny I don't know what to call it double wrong I don't know like last last option in uh, the Nietzsche I'm glad to meet you category uh, at the two hundred dollar level. This one of Saint Paul's three virtues said Nietzsche, is the worst of evils, for it prolongs the torment of man. 
Uh, Leslie rang in and said, what is patience? That was incorrect. Eric rang in and said, what is charity? That was incorrect. And Chuck rang in and said, what is hope? Although he still had two to pick from. True. Because St. Paul's three virtues are faith, hope, and hope charity, charity or love, yeah. depending on your translation. Patience is a different virtue, I guess. You want to talk about the really just gross, cl- shut your eyes and think of England? Yeah, why? Ugh. Why? We ha- In the your feminine side category, like, I can't get too upset about it, but ugh. Just the whole category, I was not crazy about. At the $200 level, they were supposed to name what is uh, the wet one of these who breastfeeds another woman's child. That's a wet nurse. Then we had Dr. Joyce Brothers reading the clue. If you're sure you've met this quote unquote correct man, but he's skittish, keep your options open. And that is Mr. Wright. And then we had completes the title of a 1977 play. Also Victorian advice to new brides. Shut your eyes and, and Chuck rings in with the correct response. Think of England. Yeah, not not crazy about this whole category. Yeah, I mean, this was 2002. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... Yep. Ugh. So... Which I realized was like 18 years ago, but still not... We should have... Uh, anyway. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I just feel oh. like Jeopardy can be better than this. I And I think I think Jeopardy is now... And then at the $1,000 level of the feminine side category, we have, uh, like, name the male fashion designer born Francisco Rabaneda who clothed women in dresses held together with metal rings. Like, yeah. why? Why Why is this all piled because, together into a category? Because why? women like fashion. Duh. I, yeah. Uh no. <laughs> so we get the daily double in the mind your own business category. Uh, it's at pick number 22. Uh, Chuck locates it and he wagers 1,000. He's in the lead at 5,200 over Leslie's 3,400 and Eric's 200. Gets the clue this fast food chain got its name from a character in the French connection. And he correctly identifies that that is Popeyes, which now I know. While about that. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Chuck is in the lead at 8,000, Leslie is at 5,200, and Eric is at 1,000. So he'll pick first from the categories Authors and Their Characters, Best Dramatic Actor Tonys, C in Science with C in quotation marks, King Me, Travel Fun, and Before and After. And they did not want to touch that Best Dramatic Actor Tonys category. Nope, they left it for last. No thank you to that. We will forest bounce to everything else. Not Mm -hmm. that one. Yep. Eric started out in the King Me category, and uh, he got the first three clues. Mm -hmm. He started at the bottom, too, so he was trying to make a quick move. Yeah. And the second of those clues was uh, Daily Double number two at the $1,600 level. So he made it a true Daily Double of 3,000. The other scores were the same, as Kyle just said, and uh, got the clue. He was deposed by the Bavarian government in 1886. Must have made him really mad. And that is Mad King Ludwig. He knows that one. Before and after is delightful as always, but oof, deep cuts. Again, just these these players are great. Yeah, they did very well. 
I was able to get one half of most of them, mm-hmm. but not the other half. Yeah, me too. At the $400 level, we had Walt Whitman poem about the duo that sang Love Will Keep Us Together. That is, oh, captain, my captain, and Tennille. <laughs> <laughs> that one was fun. They're all fun. Okay, so the third daily double is in the C and science category. It's at the $1,200 level. Uh, Leslie finds it, and she wagers 2500 trying to take the lead from Chuck. Uh, she is at 10400 Chuck's at 12800 and Eric is at 9600 so it's a fairly close game at this point. And she gets the clue, in an experiment, it's the group of people not receiving the treatment under study. And she got it right, that's the control group. She and Chuck just kind of duke it out there at the end of this board. Yeah. That's really something. Um, and they ended up in the you know the last five clues are the best dramatic actor Tonys, which they've been avoiding much more than people avoid the plague. It turns out, <laughs> but that but then they get a good proportion of them. Um, uh, they didn't know who won for Death of a Salesman in 1999. Eric guessed Dustin Hoffman. The correct response there is Brian Dennehy. That turned into a triple stumper. Leslie got. The correct response to The Great White Hope, 1969. That's James Earl Jones. And Leslie got Mark Twain Tonight in 1966 is Hal Holbrook. Mm-hmm. And, oh, so so Leslie did really well in this category, yeah. actually. Leslie I, did very well. Yes, Leslie did great. Sunrise at Campobello, 1958. That's Ralph Bellamy. Leslie gets that one, too. And then Nobody Knows Hamlet, 1995. Uh, that was Rafe Fiennes. Chuck guessed Robert De Niro, but that was incorrect. Yep. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, um, Leslie is in the lead with 21,700. Chuck has 16,000. Eric has 10,000. We get the category famous ships and the clue. In 1999, the wreck of this ship, known for its historic 1912 rescue effort, was discovered 120 miles off England. Eric wagered everything, 10,000, and correctly responded, what is the Carpathia? Chuck also went all in, uh, $16,000 wager. Responding, what is the Carpathia? Leslie wagered 300 only, thinking she'll either win or be a very solid contender for a wild card slot. Um, and correctly responds, what is Carpathia? Yeah. Ballsy move by Chuck. <laughs> yes. Wow. Maybe not strategic, but it pays off for him. Yeah. And um, Eric, too. I mean... 10,000 is a tough place to bet from. But, I mean, really betting it all... You, you, can, you either bet it all or you bet nothing. Yeah. At that point. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so, that brings us to the game on Thursday, which was from May 6th, 2002. And we get the contestants Bob Verini, a film journalist and test prep teacher from Los Angeles, California. Eddie Tamanis, a sports reporter from Arlington, Virginia, and Leslie Shannon, a manager of a research lab from Sydney, Australia. And, of course, the, uh, the, the, the notable thing about Eddie is that he is completely blind and was perfectly capable <laughs> of, of handling Jeopardy uh, without seeing the board or anything else. And we get the Jeopardy round categories, the New York Times bestsellers, People from India, track and field, white, wheat, and rye, W-R-Y. Mm-hmm. Wow, watching Eddie play is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. 
especially knowing that he can't use some of the techniques that many Jeopardy contestants rely on, like reading ahead in the clue. Yeah. The lights around the board to as a as one way of timing your uh, your buzzer or uh, signaling device usage. Right. They said the only concession they made to him was providing the categories in Braille. I believe that they avoid the use of visual uh, clues. Probably, yeah. Which which would disadvantage him unfairly. Although the visual clues, usually, usually there's enough to go from in the spoken part of the clue to make a reasonable guess. But I've seen a number of his games and I don't think they... I think that they purposely avoid visual clues for him. So we get Dilly Double number one as the eighth pick of the round um, at the $400 level of the New York Times bestsellers. Bob finds it and makes it a true Dilly Double with with 1,000. Leslie's at 800 at this point, Eddie's at 400. And Bob gets the clue, this sequel by Alexandria Ripley, published 55 years after the original novel, entered the list at number one in 1991. And he correctly responds, what is Scarlet? Uh, It is the sequel to Gone with the Wind. Pretty solid first round. Bob gets the lead and and keeps it with, uh, with Leslie trailing a little bit behind and Eddie is still in the game. And they end the Jeopardy round with Bob at 8,400, Leslie at 4,400, and Eddie at 2,400. And get the double Jeopardy categories, European history, movies by character, poetic license, scientific discovery, music appreciation, and you've got a toed, Mr. Toed in quotation marks. Um, We did have a triple stumper in the movies by character category at the $1,200 level that any listener of the show should have known. The clue is, in a 1959 film, Altair, Aldebaran, Antares, and Rigel. Total eggs, 16. And those are the horses from Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur! It is such an important movie and before that a novel everyone should know about it um i did not actually know the names of the horses but uh you know by knowing 1959 film and that there are four characters with four legs apiece you can you can get there pretty easily thinking of the of course the famous chariot race scene of course yeah of course thinking of that of course all I know is Listen. that those are names of stars. So I was like, why do stars have 16 legs? I watched Space Jam. <laughs> so now I have to watch Ben-Hur? <laughs> I've seen Space Jam. More okay. Space Jam, please, Jeopardy. Yeah. Cinema classics, please. Mm-hmm. Not this Ben-Hur and Seventh Sealed nonsense. <laughs> Give me Bugs Bunny. All right. We get the second daily double in the poetic license category. It's uh, pick number 19. It's at the $1,600 level. Uh, Bob uncovers it, and he uh, wagers 1800 He's in a commanding lead at 14800 to Leslie's 4400 and Eddie's 5200 uh, But he makes a small bet. He gets the clue... One week after a secret wedding at St. Marylebone Church, she ran off to Italy, escaping Wimple Street forever. 
And that's Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and he gets that right. We get the third Daily Double as the 22nd pick at the $1,600 level of music appreciation. Eddie finds this one and makes it a true Daily Double with 6400 He is tied with Leslie. Bob is way in the lead at 16600 He gets the clue, the name of this small harpsichord may come from the Latin for rod or the Latin for maiden. So he thinks for a second and says, what is a clavichord? Alex says, no, the Latin for maiden is Virgo. Uh, this, yeah, this is a virginal, which I had not heard of before. I'm sure you had, Kyle. Yeah, um, but there's not, there's there's no well-known piece for the virginal. There's no, there was no well-known performer of the virginal because it was intended for young women to play at home to keep them occupied while they wait for a suitor to come and find them. Mm-hmm. Hence why it's called a virginal. So, yeah, that is that is a that is a more obscure one. Yeah. Once Alex said Virgo, Eddie remembered the name of the instrument, but mm-hmm. alas, too late, so he drops to zero pretty late in the game. That uh the rest of that music appreciation category was was pretty fun. That $2000 clue, the film Gosford Park features several songs by this British actor and composer who's a character in the movie. Apparently that's what Ivor Novello? I've never heard of that guy. But Bob had, Mm, so good for him. Yeah, that one I thought was really wild. But the rest of them I I thought were... They were good but hard. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, uh, Bob has a lock game at 21,000. Leslie is at 10,000, and Eddie, having just come off of that uh, all-in, is at 800. So he gets to play, which is good. He gets the or they get the Final Jeopardy category, U.S. Cities. And the clue is founded in 1758. It's named for a British prime minister who is a noted defender of the American colonists. Uh, Eddie bet it all and guessed what is Atlanta, which is incorrect. So he drops to zero. Leslie also bet it all and wrote what is Pittsburgh, which is the correct response. Uh, So she doubles up to 20,000 and Bob... Bet nothing, and also got what is Pittsburgh. Yeah, I could not think of the city in question. Although I'm sure friend of the podcast, Lindsay Schultz, mm-hmm. would have gotten it. Probably. She Probably. Is, She's a, she is proud of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. She's a proud Pittsburgher, right? They're Pittsburghers? Yes. Is that what it is? I, I, I don't know. You have to ask Lindsay. So on Friday, we have quarterfinal game five. Our contestants are Babu Srinivasan, a history professor at Prairie View A&M University from Houston, Texas. India Cooper, an actor and copy editor from New York City, New York, a beloved member of the trivia community who died earlier this year. Robin Carroll is our third contestant, an instructional designer from Marietta, Georgia. And the Jeopardy categories are play ball, French lit, welcome back Carter, Composers, The Natural World, and this time on the right side of the board, The New York Times Crossword Clues. Those crossword clues went from extremely gettable to basically impossible, mm-hmm. in my in my opinion. The, the $200 clue was 55 down, flying mammals, four letters, and they gave you the S at the end. So that's bats. Robin gets it. The $400 clue was... 
uh, Indian prints five letters. They gave you like R and A, I think, or something like that, and it's Raja. 600, Gardener's Need, four letters. They gave you the H and the S. It's like, yeah, it's a hose. Yeah. The thing that was interesting to me is that I believe that they showed the ones that had already been answered. I wonder if they were directed to play this one top to bottom. They might have been. if they had been allowed to do it in any order, then for each clue, they would have had to have, let's see, they would have had to have 13 possible images ready, I think, per clue, right? Depending on which previous clues have been revealed, right? Because... Yeah, I I bet that they directed them to play this top to bottom. Either that or they had some really sophisticated stuff going on with their uh, with their visuals. Yeah, that that's a good point. This is where it goes from like pretty obvious, in my opinion, to like, what? $800 clue, big citrus fruit, six letters. And I think they gave a like L-O at the end or like the E and the mm-hmm. O. Yeah. And that's yeah, Pomelo? Yeah, L-O at the end, yeah. Pomelo? Pomelo, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the $1,000 clue was uh, what the queasy rodeo rider didn't feel like. One w- That's impossible. How that, were they ever going to get that? Yeah. I mean, that was just a joke that the writers put in. That's a million bucks. Like, how are, there were there were like three letters in there. That's one of those things the Jeopardy writers like to do, though, where they make like a little... Because it's, it's the Million Dollar Masters tournament. Right. That's like... What was it? Was it the All-Star Tournament where the final, correct final Jeopardy response mm-hmm. at the very last game was 35 because they were in season 35? It feel, it's like that, you yeah. know? Yeah, they're working in, working in some jokes, but the composer's category was really cool. Finally, I had one category in this tournament where I got them all right. All right, moving on. The first Daily Double shows up in the Play Ball category. It's at the $600 level. Uh, Babu finds it. Uh, he wagered 1,000. He was at negative 400 at the time. Robin was at 3,000 and India was at 2,000. Uh, he got the clue. This legend was born in Narrows, Georgia, December 18th, 1886. And he knows that that is Ty Cobb, who was the Georgia peach. Which is strange to describe him as a peach given his temperament. He was a particularly mean person. Hmm. The story goes that he would sharpen his cleats so that when he slid into base, he would hurt the defending oh. players. Well, that's not kind. I don't know if that's true or not. Might be might be apocryphal, but that mm. that's the story. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Robin is at 2,600. India has the lead at 4,800, and Babu is at 400. They get the categories. Playbill, the 1940s, Greece, Women in Labor... 15-letter words, and The Headaches of Millionaires, which Alex says is something you're all aspiring to. I felt bad for Robin on that very first clue. Women in Labor at $400. Flora Tristan, a women's rights and labor activist, was the grandmère of this artist who painted Tahitians. Robin rang in and said, who is Godin? Um, Alex asked her to say it again, and she said, I said Godin, but I know it's wrong. I know I said it wrong. If Alex asks you to say it again, and you know you said it wrong, think that's your opportunity to fix it right there. Yeah. You, or guess but, again. If you but, get if you 
if you can't quite remember what that what that middle consonant is, try another one. Yeah, but that was, I don't know, that was classy. Yeah, classy move. Um, India picked up the rebound, but seemed a little apologetic about it. And another rough miss for Robin at the $400 level of 15-letter words. The clue was Madeline Albright or Martina Navratilova by birth. Uh, she said, who are Czech- Czechoslovakians. Unfortunately, if you add an S, it has 16 letters. It needed yeah. to be Czechoslovakian. Yeah, so a couple of tough breaks for Robin pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But she recovers. Yes. Um, we get Daily Double number two as the 25th pick. It's at the $1,600 level of the Headaches of Millionaires. Robin finds this one and wagers 5,000 of her 5,400. India's up at 13,200. She was great. And yeah. Bobby's at 7,600. The clue is visit Monte Carlo and you'll be expected to bet big playing this game from which Chemin de Fer is derived. And she is definitely guessing when she says what is Baccarat. And that is correct. Yeah. The preferred yeah. game of James Bond mm-hmm. before Daniel Craig. And uh, yeah, so she gets back up into striking distance of India and uh, they both have a couple of misses in the clues before this. Uh, but India ends up with the last clue of the round and it is daily double number three. It's the $1,600 clue and playbill. She is at 13200 and she wagers 5000 to put herself uh, out of reach of Robin's 8800 and Babu's 6000 She gets the clue, This musical's American Dream ended on Broadway after 4,097 performances and a lot of helicopter flights. And she knew it right away. That's Miss Saigon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, helicopter flights really gives that one away. Um, Miss Saigon is famous for... The helicopter. So at the end of Double Jeopardy, India has a lock game with 18,200. Um, Robin is at 8,800. Babu is at 6,000. And we get the category the Oscars. And the clue the two Best Picture nominees for 1983 that featured astronaut characters. Babu has wagered all 6,000. He correctly responds What are the right stuff and terms of endearment? Yeah. Good for him. Right. I know the titles of those movies, but not enough to identify astronaut characters. Robin and India have both missed it. Uh, Robin has wagered 3,200 and guesses what are E.T. and Apollo 13. Both kind of fit with a space theme, but are, you know, off, off in terms of the years. The years, sure. yeah. Apollo 13 was definitely in like at least the mid 90s. I saw that one in the theater. Yeah. As like a as a young person. And ET's the late 80s, I think. Yeah. India has wagered only 100 and also thought of Apollo 13, uh, but she did think of the right stuff, so she got one of the two. So that gives India the win and wild cards slots go to Claudia Perry, Leslie Freitz, Eric Newhouse, and Leslie Shannon. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so we'll see them back for the semifinals. Yep, we will. 
Okay, so this is the time when we might normally plug our Patreon, but for some time now, we have been asking you uh, if you have to be judicious about where your dollars go. There are causes more important than our podcast, believe it or not. No, we, we know that you know. Not many, but there are. <laughs> I, yes. So we've been pointing folks looking for a place to connect toward communityjusticeexchange.org. And of course, there is blacklivesmatter.com, um, both great places to find a worthy place to offer your money, your time, your voice, um, whatever you are able to give in this time. Of course, there are many other worthy causes as well. The most important thing is that we're all doing something to make this world more just for everyone. Make sure to find a, a place to do that work, whatever makes sense for you in your context with your abilities. And uh, thank you. Yeah. All right. Do you have deep dive guesses? Well, I do. I was kind of hoping that maybe you were doing a deep dive on Ben-Hur. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> okay. No, I'm um, leaving that for you. Since you're so excited right. about that, I don't want to take that away from you. <laughs> Someday it, I will. It um, will come up pretty much every week so it is yeah it, do, it does seem to come up pretty much every week doesn't it all right so not been her are we talking about bartok Ooh, bella bartok i do i do enjoy bartok i actually gave a talk about bartok in my uh undergraduate composing studio uh but no i'm not talking about bartok this time okay what about delphi no, but you're very close. Oh no! Okay, where, 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 I mean, I, where, I might it, be able to like get to in the Greece category. It was in the Greece category, and really, it kind of was the Greece category uh, in the Friday game, in the double jeopardy round. That Greece category gave them just all kinds of trouble: four triple stumpers and an incorrect response on the one that was correctly gotten. So I looked at that and I was like, I could talk about Greece. Nope, that's way too big an issue. <laughs> um, but a couple of them, the $1,200 clue and the uh, $1,600 clue, uh, both had to deal with islands of Greece. So what I'm going to be talking about today are the islands of Greece. So this is not necessarily going to be a deep dive so much as a wide, shallow dive I'm going to be throwing out a lot of names of places and kind of descriptions of where they are and some of the islands uh, that have particular things that they're known for just to just to kind of like bring familiarity with these names and these locations. Hopefully, you know, Greece is uh, a European country on the I Mediterranean. Do. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the islands surrounding the mainland of Greece uh, are are usually uh, classified in groups. There are the large islands, Crete being the largest of the Greek islands, uh, followed by Euboea, that's the second largest, then Lesbos is the third, and Rhodes is the fourth largest. Uh, all the rest of the islands are smaller than Rhodes, and... Uh, varying in size and population. So, 
Starting out with Crete. Crete is a very important uh, location in European history. Like I said, it's the largest of the Greek islands. It is pretty far away from the mainland. It's pretty far south into the Mediterranean. And it is the most populous of the Greek uh, islands as well. It is also the 88th largest island in the world. Uh, and the fifth largest in the Mediterranean after Sicily, Sardinia, Cyprus, and Cyprus, Cyprus and Corsica. Uh, and it is the southern border of the Aegean Sea. So uh, the entire uh, arm of the Mediterranean that is to the east of the Greek mainland, that is the Aegean Sea. So humans have inhabited Crete since at least 130,000 years ago during the Paleolithic Age. And it was the center of Europe's first advanced civilization, the Minoans, from around 2700 to 1420 BCE, at which time the Minoans were overrun by the Mycenaean Greeks. And over time it came to be ruled by Rome and the Byzantines and the Andalusian Arabs and the Venetian Republic and eventually the Ottoman Empire. Until finally, after they became their own Cretan state, they joined Greece in 1913. In addition to simply being the home of the Minoan civilization, it gave rise to the earliest of the Greek mythology and earliest Greek culture, including the myth of King Midas, as well as Theseus and the, uh, the Minotaur in the Labyrinth. As you can guess, there's an awful lot that goes into its history, but that's what I'm going to leave it at. So that's Crete, the largest. Then the second largest we have is Euboea. Uh, this is the second largest of the Greek islands, and it is much closer to the mainland. It is just off the coast of Thessaly, which is on the eastern side of the Greek mainland. It is very, very close into the mainland and actually now has a couple of bridges connecting the mainland to it. So it's, it's not that far out there. It's believed to have originally been part of the mainland, but was separated by an earthquake, given that it is very close and in the neighborhood of a fault line. And it is separated by the Euripus Strait. Hmm. In antiquity, uh, its two principal cities were Chalcis and Eritrea. Uh, both of which are mentioned in the Catalog of Ships, which is an epic catalog in Book 2 of Homer's Iliad. So it has had, it's had civilization for a very, very long time. And it was important to Athens especially because of its location on the Aegean and the way that it kind of acted as a buffer between the mainland and the sea. It's got a couple of famous associations. Uh, that is where Aristotle died after in in 322 BC, after fleeing Athens, uh, his mother's family estate was in Chalcis, and it played a, a fairly important role in the Peloponnesian War, and then was conquered by Philip of Macedon. It also, as much of Greece was, came under the rule of various empires throughout throughout the Middle Ages uh, and Roman Empire and that, that kind of time. The promontory of Canaeum which is on the island, is associated with the events connected with the death of Heracles, hmm. as described in the Trachiniae. And, uh, yeah, so I'll move on okay. from there. That's Euboeus. Heracles, of course, being Hercules. Hercules, yeah. Right. 
We'll put the gladi- but the, gladiator. The, the Greek Greek name for the demigod was Heracles. Yes. So after that, we have the Aegean Islands, which is basically talking about all of the islands in the Aegean Sea, and that uh, they are further broken down into smaller groups, such as the northeastern Aegean Islands, which are in the Thracian Sea, the Sporides, the Cyclades, the Dodecanese, the Saronic Islands, and others. Among the Aegean Islands, uh, I mentioned of the larger islands, the third largest island of Greece is Lesbos. It's in the northeastern Aegean. It is separated from Turkey by the Mytilene Strait. It it is said to have been uh, settled by a family from Thessaly, and in the Iliad it was part of the kingdom of Priam, which which also included Troy in modern-day Turkey. Again, it was also ruled by the Byzantines and the Genoese and the Ottomans and blah, 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 blah. Lots of people. Of course, Lesbos, probably most famously to us, is known and associated with the works of the poet Sappho, who wrote powerful emotional poetry and erotic poetry directed toward women. And thus, this is where we get the term lesbian. Due to this uh, association... There is a major LGBT tourism industry on the island. Just to show how terrible people are, in 2003, there were three uh, islanders who unsuccessfully brought a court case against the LGBTQ or LGBT community of Greece. They requested a legal injunction to ban groups from using the word lesbian, which they claimed violated their human rights as it is insulting and disgraces them around the world. They were compelled to pay court costs after they lost the case. (laughs) I can see how it would be confusing, possibly. Mm -hmm. Right, for for perhaps like a, a, a male presenting person to say... I am a lesbian I am because lesbian. I am from yeah. the Isle of Lesbos. Right. Um, but, you know... It seems to me you could say, I am Greek. You know, you could. Uh, but we are also Americans who... We don't really care all that much about the state we're from. We really just say we're Americans. Right. Europe, Europe has much a much more rooted history in the actual yeah. location. Yeah. That is, um, that is fair. Yeah. But yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm with you. It's a hard you. pass on that whole argument. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, oppo- I'm not disagreeing. Okay, so another of the uh, Aegean islands is Samothrace. This is not one of the larger islands, and this one, it was not a state of any political significance to ancient Greece or anything like that. The only reason I mention it is because it, it played a, a small role in the, uh, in the, the Greco-Persian wars. And had a little bit of, of mention in the King James Version of the Bible, as well as apparently the Apostle Paul spent one night there on his way to Macedonia. So it's kind of a, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a stop in the road. Okay. But there it's is... the winged victory of Samothrace. There is, right? there is one famous, I mean, there are a few famous artworks, but perhaps the most notable is the winged victory of Samothrace. So that's the only reason I really mention it. 
So another group of islands within the Aegean we have are the Saronic Islands, or the Argo-Saronic Islands. They're located just off the Greek mainland, and the main inhabited, inhabited islands of this group are Salamis, Aegina, Agistri, and Poros. They're also the islands of Hydra and Dakos. The only real like historical significance that we would think of is uh, with Salamis, is the Battle of Salamis, which was during the second Persian invasion of Greece. The Greeks had just lost at Thermopylae and at the uh, naval battle of Artemisium, and they'd been driven back by the Persians, but at uh, Salamis Island, the Greek navy drew the Persian navy into the Strait of Salamis, which ended up putting them in a bottleneck, and the the Greek navy was able to score a decisive victory against them, which helped turn the tide in the in this this era of the Greco-Persian Wars, and eventually led to the Greeks being able to push them back. So that's Salamis, which is part of the Saronic, or Argo-Saronic Islands. Another group of islands we have are the Dodecanese, which, if you know Greek roots, Dodeca and Nes literally translates, or literally means, 12 islands. So, of course, it is a group of 15 major islands. Oh, no. With 150 smaller islands. <laughs> it's in the southeastern Aegean Sea. These are kind of the farthest ones from the mainland. Uh, they're much closer to the Turkish mainland than actual, like, mainland Greece. They define the eastern limit of the Sea of Crete. Rhodes is one of the... is possibly the most notable of the islands of the Dodecanese. The others are Kos and Patmos, Agathonisi, Astipalaya, Chalki, Kalimnos, Carpathos, Kassos, Leipsoi, Leros, Nisiros, Simi, Tilos, and Castellarizo. Oof. Okay. Patmos is an important Bible one. Yes. Patmos is, yes. The Apostle John was there, right? Where he wrote, that's right. Where he wrote Revelation? Right. Yes, that's correct. Sorry, I keep co-opting your viewpoint. No, no, that's fine. That's that's adding to the like the, the the reason I'm doing this is to just like become familiar with these islands. Yeah. So like I said, it the name means twelve islands, and that actually comes from kind of the history of that group of islands. They went back and forth between Greek rule, Byzantine rule, Ottoman rule in the eighteenth and into the nineteenth century as the Greek independence movement was moving forward. And with the establishment of, of the, the Kingdom of Greece, they began referring to those islands as the Twelve Privileged Islands, and over time worked to bring them into uh, Greek rule. They have a pretty pretty storied history, being so close to, the, to Asia Minor. They were, you know, like, like you mentioned, St. John, and uh, other people passed through them a lot. They were waypoints for sailors along... Uh, and travelers along the Mediterranean coast. But like I said, they became part of Greece uh, in the early 20th century. And so Rhodes is one of the, like I said, more famous of them. It is nicknamed the Island of the Knights, named after the Knights of St. John of Jerusalem, who ruled the island from 1310 to 1522. Uh, it was also home to the Colossus of Rhodes. It also has a pretty storied history, both in the Hellenistic Age and before. It had Minoan settlers, as well as Mycenaean settlers, and then 
you know, Greek as well as Byzantine, like I said. Uh, the Crusaders uh, established presence on the island, particularly the Knights Hospitaller. They were driven out by the Ottomans. In 1949, it was also the venue for negotiations between Israel and Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria, concluding the 1949 Armistice Agreements, which officially ended the uh, Arab-Israeli War and established some fairly important political boundaries. So that's Rhodes. Another group of island we have are the Cyclades, uh, which are much closer to the mainland, still in the Aegean. They include the sacred island of Delos, as well as the largest island of Naxos. And one of the Jeopardy clues, they include the island of Mykonos. So Cycladic culture had kind of its own sort of unique culture in the early Bronze Age. It had it's known for its schematic flat sculptures carved out of the island's pure white marble. Those go back to before the Minoan civilization arose in Crete and came over. There are also some important archaeological digs there in the Cyclades. Mykonos is really a tourist location. It's got, you know, it's got its history. There, it's been settled for, you know, many millennia. It changed hands just like all the other islands from various empires ruling the Mediterranean. And according to mythology, Mykonos is named after its first ruler, Mykonos, who was the son or grandson of the god Apollo. It is also said to be the location of the Gigantamachi, the great battle between Zeus and the giants, and where Heracles killed the invincible giants, having lured them from the protection of Mount Olympus. And according to myth, the large rocks all over the island are said to be the petrified corpses of the giants. Like I said, it's also a, a major tourist location. Beautiful beaches, resorts, that kind of thing. Apparently, it's also known for its vibrant nightlife and being a gay-friendly destination with many established establishments catering to the LGBT community. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Yep. I did not know that before this. Uh, we also had Naxos, which is part of the Cyclades. In Greek mythology, the young Zeus was raised in a cave on Naxos. So this is kind of his home. And also the giant brothers uh, Otis and Ephiates lived there. This is also apparently where Theseus abandoned Ariadna after she helped him kill the Minotaur. So that's Naxos. And finally, last of the islands, that, that wraps up the Aegean Islands, which in the ancient Greek, the Aegean Islands were all call, called archipelago. But that word has since come to mean simply any chain of islands. Mm -hmm. uh, the last islands we're going to talk about are on the other side, on the western side, on the Ionian Sea, and these are known as the Ionian Islands. And so they have served a different purpose throughout Greek history, particularly with their proximity to Italy, Rome, France, and the history that happened there. These islands came under Napoleonic rule during the Napoleonic Wars. They also came under British rule after the Napoleonic Wars, and uh, these islands, or due to their British rule, uh, took up afternoon tea, cricket, and other English pastimes. So these islands have much more of a British influence than the other parts of Greece. Ithaca, of course, is known from the Odyssey as the home of Odysseus, but it also served as a pretty powerful Mycenaean capital state, and uh, it was important to the Romans and the Byzantines as well. The Normans ruled Ithaca in the 13th century, hmm. as well as Turks for a while, and 
then it was part of the Venetian Empire, and then, of course, like I said, Napoleonic and British rule and all of that. And then Corfu is a, is a simple island. It's, it also has its, its fair share of history. Uh, it is a pretty popular tourist destination. It, it is bound up in the history of Greek history of Greece from the beginnings of the beginnings of Greek mythology. It has a large number of archaeological sites and ancient historical sites. It was also important during the British protectorate and the First and Second World Wars. So I just talked about a lot of islands, but hopefully some of the names are familiar. Hopefully you got a little bit more context for them to be able to say like, okay, if I hear this question, I might be able to get to it. Yeah, this was great. All right, quiz time. Okay. Let's do this. So this is kind of just based on all the things we talked about. Uh, Some of them are actually Greek, like related. Some of them have nothing to do with it. Question one. Uh, Heracles was connected to the islands of Euboeus and Mykonos. For one point each, name the twelve, although I will accept thirteen, labors of Heracles. Oh, goodness. All right. They're like kind of coming to me in bits and pieces. There's the one with the stables, the... Aegean stables, is that right? Yes, the Aegean stables is one of them. Yes, there is it's something about a lion. I probably need to come up with a like a modifier for the I'm, lion. But there's I'm, something about a lion. I'm gonna need more uh, than just a lion. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll come back to that one. Okay. Um, I think the slaying the hydra. That's yep. one of the. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Technically, the. Lernaean Hydra, but I'll accept that, yeah. Okay. Oh no, this is such a disaster. <laughs> uh, there's... What is the... I can't remember the, what's going on with the lion. We'll just leave the lion to the side for now. I watched the Disney movie Hercules Yeah, he, like two months ago. They, they move pretty quick through those. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't even actually <laughs> do them. He's just going around fighting things. Which is most yeah. of the labors, but not all of them. Yeah. Hold on. There's something with an apple. Or apples. But again, I need a... I probably need, like, like an adjective on that. Right to... Yeah. Yeah. There is something... uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to remember for the lion. There's a girdle. The girdle of... Right. Will you accept the girdle of the Amazons? I feel like I'm missing something there. But yeah, is that I'll, I'll take enough? that. Yeah, the girdle, right. girdle of Hippolyta. But yeah, I'll take that. Okay. Um, you know what? I've I've uh, slogged through getting three of these. I don't think like I, most of them have like a geographic name in them, and I don't think I have those memorized. So we're gonna go with the three. We're gonna call it close enough. Okay. All right. So yeah, the the labors of Hercules were given to him by the king Eurystheus, who the oracle at Delphi had told him to serve for ten years in order to atone for the for him murdering his first wife and kids. So they were, first off, the Nemean lion, slaying the Nemean lion. Second was okay. yeah, second was the Lernian Hydra. Uh, third was capturing the Cyrenian hind, which is a deer. 
Uh, fourth mm-hmm. was the Aramanthian boar. Fifth was the Aegean stables. Sixth was the Stymphalian birds. Man-eating birds with beaks made of bronze. Seventh was the Cretan bull. Eighth were the mares of Diomedes. Mm. Ninth was the girdle of Hippolyta. Uh, tenth was the cattle of Geryon, who was a uh, three-bodied giant. Don't know how you get that, but... <laughs> huh, okay. Eleventh um, was the golden apples of the Hesperides. Oh, right. And twelfth was the capture of Cerberus. Oh, Cerberus, I should have gotten. Yeah, uh, that's right. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, most yeah. of the rest, I, I might have been able to, like, to get the, the animal, but probably not the, probably not the name, like, the geographic names. Or, yeah. Yeah. All right. Three's not too bad. I'll take it. Uh, there was also, there's also kind of like a 13th labor of Hercules, which is after he had, after he had completed some of the tasks, uh, he was rewarded by the king with the offer to sleep with all of the king's 50 daughters. And he did, and all of them got pregnant, and that is referred to as the 13th labor of Hercules. So if that ever comes up, there you go. Okay. All right, you have three points. Not bad. All right. Not bad. Not bad. Question two. You kind of mentioned this. The Winged Victory of Samothrace is one of the more famous ancient Greek sculptures currently residing at the Louvre. This headless sculpture is not a depiction of an event, but rather of the goddess of victory. Tell me her name. Just do it. Nike! Yeah, it's Nike. Nice. Yep, indeed. Nike. Alright, 13 points. Question three. Because I can't help myself from asking questions about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh no. (laughs) The Dodecanese Islands are apparently misnamed, since there are 15 major islands. However, a dodecahedron is not, as it accurately describes a 12-sided solid. Dungeons and Dragons is known for using a variety of polyhedrons as dice, including the dodecahedron. However, it is the neglected die as it rarely sees use. In fact, only one character class uses the d12 to determine its hit points. Which class is that, which may feel more at home on the other side of the Mediterranean from Greece? Um, um, I'm going to say cleric. If it's on the northern coast of Africa, that would be a barbarian. Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. Okay, not bad though. Cleric is a player class, so there you go. All right, I my my uh, map in my head got all mixed up, and I was like, "Is he like making a like Italy Pope reference?" Um. <laughs> yes, the player class of Pope. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Question four. Corfu claims the birth of many famous people throughout history, such as Saint Philomena, Alexander Rossi. Vicky Leandros, and Albert Cohen, to name a few. Perhaps most notable, however, is which European royal? He has been not quite a king for nearly 70 years. Oh. Must must be Prince Philip, right? Is that it? Prince Philip? It is Prince Philip, yes. There we go. Yes, he is the, he is the prince consort. Not, yes. not technically That's right. king. I thought you, when you said not quite a king, I thought you meant like, you know, heir to the throne. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Um, yes. And then, uh, and then my, uh, my time watching The Crown came back to me and I was like, oh no, Corfu works better with Prince Philip. Prince Philip. All right. Yeah, nice. There we go. Save that one. 
Phew, close one. All right, you are at, what, 23 points. Here is question five. Ithaca is famous as the home of Odysseus. The tale of the Odyssey has inspired storytelling for millennia. For five points each, give me the title of the underrated Coen Brothers film from 2000 based on the Odyssey and the actor who portrayed the hero, Ulysses Everett McGill. Um, the film is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And I haven't actually seen it, but I think George Clooney is in it. So I'm going to guess George Clooney. You got them both. It is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And George Clooney. Man, I love that movie. So good. Yeah. I think one, I think probably, I don't know, something about that film is that like, just like in the Odyssey, nobody in the story is actually like a like a noble heroic figure it's mm. they're all just people yeah awesome anyway cool you're at 33 points going into the final and uh for the category of the final i am going to say it is things you should learn for jeopardy oh no all right i I'll wager... I'll wager 30. Okay. Probably a good call. We mentioned that Rhodes is home to the Colossus of Rhodes, which is one of the ancient... one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Name the other six. Alright. Here we go. There is the Mausoleum of the Halicarnassus. Are you sure? Damn it, Kai. There is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Statue of Zeus at Olympus, Olympia. Olympia. Yeah, I would would just take Statue of Zeus, but it is at Olympia. You're right, yeah. Which ones did I say? You said the Colossus of Rhodes. I said the Hanging Gardens. I said the Mausoleum. I said the Statue of Zeus. The Great Pyramid, uh-huh. um, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, and the Temple. The uh, the oh, you are on the doorstep. At, it is at Ephesus. It is at it's Ephesus. The Temple of Coin Flip Emily. Let's go, Artemis. The Temple. It is of the Artemis. Temple of Artemis. There we go. You All right. got it. Yay! You got it. I nice. learned some things. Kyle. <laughs> there we go. Because <laughs> uh, it's knowledge born out of trauma. <laughs> Which is the most memorable knowledge. <laughs> Except that somehow Artemis doesn't stick. I don't know. Tem- I, I need to. I need to lose another Jeopardy game to really get the Temple of Artemis to stick with me. <laughs> I mean, you could remember that it rhymes with Ephesus, kind of. Yeah, there we go. Artemis and Ephesus, I guess. Nice job! Yay! Well done. Seven Wonders of the Ancient World. (laughs) A couple years too late. Yeah, it happens. That's all right. I'm glad you got to be on the Tournament of Champions. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for helping me. Well, listeners, uh, hopefully you were able to also get those because we have harped about (laughs) 
knowing the ancient wonders of the world many times mm-hmm. on this podcast. Many times. I really should have been able to just sort of uh, spit them all out without, well, without having it on. Well, even as I was thinking of this, this question, I, I was like, wait, what are they again? Because if you don't go through them, they don't come mm-hmm. up anywhere, right? Right. Like, there's something yeah. you kind of have to practice. But yeah. But thank you, Emily. Thank you for... Thank you, Kyle. For potting with me and and for doing well on the quiz. And thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. It is wonderful to be able to share this with you. And you can help us out by subscribing on whatever uh, podcasting app you are using and leaving us a rating or a review if you are able to do so. Um, You can also check out our Patreon. We mentioned it. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And that can help us out as well. Make sure to tell your uh, Jeopardy fan friends about us. Um, and uh, y'all can find us on the social media. We're on Twitter at Potent Potables one We're on Facebook at Potent Potables. Our email address is PotentPotablesCast at gmail.com. And you can find us on the internet at PotentPod.com. And we'll be back next week to recap the semis and finals of the Million Dollar Masters Tournament. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.